The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown. Today, we're speaking with J.P. Turinsky from Ottawa, and he's going to tell us all about how cycling fits into his zero waste lifestyle. I've been into zero waste for quite a while, or at least trying to minimize my waste for about 20 years. And like when I was at work, I first started doing simple things like... uh, bringing my own plate at lunch to the food court when we'd go for shawarma or whatever, instead of using the styrofoam like takeout containers that they would have there. Yeah, awesome. And uh, first I thought it would be like really weird, and but the people there really liked it. And they actually got to remember me, and uh, they would make an effort to like making a nice presentation on the plate and and try and make the food look better than if they were just putting in like the styrofoam containers and stuff. And I had like my, uh, I had to have a cotton towel with me at work that I would use instead of the paper towels that would just get thrown out. Oh, like in the bathroom? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's really smart. As I kind of went on, I would add things to my routine. So it was never, it didn't start off as a goal of zero waste, but just as trying to minimize my waste. I just noticed it's becoming more and more of a thing. And uh, about a few years ago now, I challenged myself to go a year where I would not send anything to the landfill. If it was going to go to the landfill, I would be stuck with it in my basement and I would keep it there. Right around the same time is kind of when your podcast came out, coincidentally, and New Grocery opened up here in Ottawa. So it just seemed like everything was happening at once in the zero waste. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had two Rubbermaid bins basically full of trash, uh, and that was it. That was the whole year? Yep. Yeah, I had one here at the house and one up at the cottage. And there was a couple other things, like uh, my daughter's, her toboggan broke. So I had a broken toboggan that was kind of snapped, and that didn't fit in the bin. And Mm -hmm. a couple, like, uh, bike wheels. But uh, otherwise, yeah, everything fit in. So I had the stuff in the bins, and then at the end of the year, I just dumped it into the regular like garbage pail. And uh, when the city comes to pick it up, they just dump the bin into the into the truck, and off they go. Like they don't need the garbage bags. Yeah. So what did you find during your personal trash audit? Like, were there things that you found you could get rid of or you couldn't? It was funny. I had I had kind of a, a trial one a couple months before. Because just uh, it was hard to like change your habits. It's really the, the hardest thing. So you'd uh, you'd get into the habit of like if if you were at a, a meeting at work, for example, and in the middle of the table where there was the tray of candies, and you just think, oh, I'll just grab one here absentmindedly, and then as soon as I open the wrapper, I realize like, oh, now I'm stuck with this wrapper. <laughs> uh, and the same with uh, like granola bars or whatever else that you never really think about until you're doing something like this. I mean, the hardest is things to deal with where basically the uh, like things that broke down, so like light bulbs that burnt out, or uh, I do my own like car maintenance. 
So there was a bunch of stuff in the car. I had to replace a ball joint. Luckily, like I had to replace a uh, an axle too, but a Subaru, like we have a Subaru, so they take that back, the old axle, and, and they're able to reuse it somehow. But yeah, the stuff that would be replacing broken. I did some uh, home renovations as well, so like replacing the caulking, the old caulking that would go in. Uh, so there's there's not really, I don't think, an alternative to that because you're kind of inherit the problem right from Mm. before yeah there's a like caulking for my house for example like i need to use that garbage um and that's hard to wash out because it hardens to the container you know that stuff that you put like in your bathroom to like seal things uh so like sometimes like a little bit of garbage like that will save your entire kitchen your your whole bathroom you know so Uh a little bit of garbage will save a lot of garbage in a little bit how did you get interested in in living sustainably? Like, is this something that happened when you were a little boy, or did it hit you suddenly, or how did, how did you come to care so much? It's a good question. I'm not sure exactly. Part of it comes from being frugal, right? And I don't like to waste money, yeah. and I'm really yeah careful with my money. And that came from growing up as a, a family. We weren't rich. Uh, we weren't poor either, but we. we made sure that we used the money that we had efficiently. And I've got like a quest to be efficient. Might just be from laziness and (laughs) trying to avoid work where (laughs) I don't need to. Is that like bringing the garbage out to the curb and and dealing with so much stuff? Because I find life is so much easier now that I don't have to deal with garbage. Yeah, exactly. Once you get processes in place, let's take meat, for example. So I eat a lot of meat, but we used to come on these styrofoam trays and uh, you'd go to the grocery store, right? And it comes all wrapped in plastic. And uh, at the grocery store here, they don't even have a butcher, I don't think. They get it all from Central, already wrapped up in these uh, containers. So when I went zero waste, I would switch to meeting with the farmers and trying to get to know the producers directly, right? So same with my vegetables. And then I could just get like a whole freezer full delivered at once. And that was it. Like, my shopping was done for the year. And then I never even thought about that as a benefit. And it's also cheaper, like, being able to deal with them. And then you tell them exactly what you want, how you want to cut. And it's all taken care of in one go. Mm-hmm. How I came about to biking is kind of twofold. One, I, I really liked cycling. As a kid, I would get around. And as a kid, it's like freedom. I grew up yeah. in Stittsville, which is at the time, it's about 40 kilometers outside of downtown Ottawa. So it's not exactly rural, but it's there was no movie theater or there's nothing much to do there. Well, even just being able to bike uh, meant you could go to the playground or you could go to uh, get to school on your own uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, but as I got older, and uh, of course, I got my driver's license and would start to drive around and uh, be out on my own like that. I kind of switched habits into driving everywhere. And if you wanted to, again, go to the mall, you hopped in the car and you had to go to the drive to the mall. And that kind of became my de facto transportation for about 10 years. And then I, I was, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against cars because I think cars are a great tool. And they're great for moving large quantities of things. They're powerful machines and they can go fast and they can move a lot of weight. So for that, uh, I don't uh, fault them. 
But if you're just like going to the grocery store or getting to work and that kind of thing, they're very inefficient as well. So that's that's one thing I would realize, like as I would be commuting to work uh, later in life, is you're just kind of stuck in traffic all this time. And going to the grocery store, you're stuck waiting for for parking or getting in and out, or even you park your car and then you you go walk all the way into the store. There was one moment in particular where it kind of was eye-opening for me, and that was on the highway. There was a a, a goose that had been struck by a car. And uh, so it was dead and it was lying in the highway. And uh, its mate was trying to defend it from the oncoming cars. And if you could imagine a goose standing in the middle of the highway, honking at cars as they were coming on. Oh, that's so sad. This was a brave goose, yeah. And it just kind of hit me, like, all this driving we're doing, and uh, it's impacting the environment in all kinds of ways we don't think of. It's impacting... Uh, the wildlife, paving the roads is breaking up habitat. And between just being stuck in traffic and thinking about all the time that, that I was uh, wasting and starting to think about these other environmental impacts like the roads and uh, the wildlife, I, I started biking more and more. And then since then, I've just kind of given up on the car and gone back to biking as much as I can. That's awesome. When I lived in Victoria, I lived about nine kilometers from the military base that I worked at, and it was a 40-minute drive in traffic. But yep. if there was no traffic, like if you just went at like 8 o'clock at night, it was a 12-minute drive. So 12-minute drive without traffic, 40-minute drive at least with traffic. Wow. And so I biked. And in Victoria, you can uh, – we'll get to you biking in different seasons in a minute because right. I'm interested in to find out about that. But in Victoria, it snows for maybe three or four days a year, and you can really bike most of like all year round and, uh, and maybe you would bike in that snow but for those few days I wouldn't every other time I would and I would count the, some of the cars because there were big hills so there's this one big hill yep. and I would just come soaring down it and I would get over 200 cars that I would count that I would pass on my bike nice I know it was so awesome and I was like why are more people not doing this? Because I'm in super good shape. I'm getting out in the fresh air. I can smell flowers. We have this like invasive species in Victoria. It's called Himalayan blackberry, and it is the most delicious invasive species ever. <laughs> and so I would just stop and like just shove berries in my mouth for like five minutes and then keep going. And uh, when my when my son was little, I had that little bike seat on top of my handlebars. So okay. I would put him there and I would bike him down the Galloping Goose Trail. And it was so beautiful and wonderful and just this really great experience. It's totally different. Sometimes it's hard on energy, though. Like sometimes I would kind of feel exhausted, but yeah. um, but not most of the time. So so tell me about the weather conditions that you ride in. So are you one of those people who ride in the winter in Ottawa? Because I've seen people that do that. And that's crazy. <laughs> it's cold in Ottawa. Uh, yes, I do bike all year round. But it's it's not that bad at all, actually. It's uh, like it's, minus thirty. <laughs> it's so cold yeah, sometimes. <laughs> the the key is that you don't want to have any exposed skin. Do you wear goggles, like ski goggles? Yeah, I wear ski goggles on the really cold days. So if you think of a, a car, a car is a very inefficient winter coat. Like you're pulling out gas from wherever in the world, shipping it, refining it, pumping it into your car. There's a better way to keep yourself warm. Uh, and that's just dress for the weather. Basically, in the winter, even on the very coldest days, and I've ridden in like minus 30, I wear a long sleeve shirt 
And over that, I have uh, like a Patagonia uh, shell. And I, I love Patagonia for what they do for stuff. Like uh, you can just, when you're done with the coat, if it's ripped or whatever shape it's in, you send it back to them and they'll do whatever they can with it. But uh, I wear a coat and then if it's cold, I'll wear goggles, I'll wear a neoprene face mask. And uh, I, I wear uh, like a nylon shell over my pants to keep the wind out. And, and basically, yeah, you're, you're trying to keep the wind out. Your body generates a lot of heat when you're uh, biking. And uh, usually, yeah, yeah the, the, the hard part is, is managing where that heat goes and trying to not overheat. So I'm trying to control the airflow. On cold days, I'll, I'll wear a scarf maybe around the neck of my jacket to keep the cold air from going in. And like on my head, I've got my my bike helmet, which I would put a, a wind cover over top. So that's like a big foam, uh, like a styrofoam. I mean, it's great insulation. I wear Sorel boots. So nothing fancy. I don't have like fancy bike clothes. Uh, I wear whatever I would be working, wearing to work if I'm going to work or shopping or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got my Sorels and I'm good to go. Victoria, it rains a lot. So I would usually for about nine months of the year arrive to work soaked and I would be yep. soaked with rain, but I would also yep. be soaked in sweat. And I had like moisture wicking clothes and I, I tried to do all that, but it, it just seemed no matter what. But but like I said, we had really big hills. So you'd really right. have to work hard for a couple of them and then coast down the other ones. So luckily I had a shower. Uh-huh. Do you have a shower at your work? Yeah. So that is like key, I think. How how far would you go? It was nine kilometers. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty that's a fair distance. It was okay. Yeah. The hills were, were fun and challenging and it was nice. But yeah, I would I would be quite sweaty, so I don't know how people would do it without a shower. But I know some right. people ride their bikes and don't get sweaty, but I'm one of those people who does everything like as hard as I can when I'm doing <laughs> things. Yeah. I like can't go slow. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, there's kind of a magic number, like around five or six kilometers below that, it's pretty easy. And above that, you start to have to deal with, yeah, more like the exertion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it depends on your your fitness level and that. If you're talking about winter biking in general, you don't have to do like every single trip by bike or you don't have, if work is too far, but the grocery store is close by, then uh, maybe just ride your bike to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the car is a tool and, uh, and where it helps. And it's it's making your life better. Then I mean, factor that in. And if it's just the being a waste, then I mean, as long as you're, I think, as long as people are mindful of how truly wasteful their cars are, and and the pollution uh, they're pumping out, and uh, the air quality and carbon right, emissions, right? Exactly. All that stuff, right? Well, I, a big reason now why I'm into biking is because it's not so much that I like biking, but that cars are just so incredibly uh, wasteful. And, and they're wasteful not in like the way you traditionally think of zero waste, uh, of things going to the landfill and, and garbage. Well, they're wasteful in gas, for one thing. So gas, like that's, that's a non-renewable resource. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that liter of gas gets pumped out of the soil, it's gone forever. Like it, it took millions of years to produce that that's why it's gas is such a great energy source is because it takes so much energy to make it right you've got literally millions of years of pressure of heat going in to transform whatever matter it is into gas so when you burn it all that energy gets released in one single bang and it's gone but uh, it's it's wasteful of 
that. So I mean, if we ever decide later on we need that gas for something more valuable than sitting at the drive-through at McDonald's, we're stuck because there's no more way to get it. I know. I wonder about that. I have to get a new car soon, and so I'm looking at electrics and hybrids and. And like a small car that doesn't use very much gas. And I kind of know the answers, but it's interesting to sort of compare the differences, but then also think like, okay, in like five or six years, are gas prices going to go way up? Are our hydro prices going to go way Mm -hmm. up? Like it's also kind of like predict, trying to predict the future a little bit, which is kind of silly. I should probably not focus on that so much, but you know, it comes up a little bit. But do you you have any statistics uh, for us about how much carbon is saved when somebody switches to biking or anything like that? Yeah, well, you're saving on gas. You're saving on, uh, like, you kind of touched on money as well. So, oh, but, yeah, uh, lots, a lot cheaper. Absolutely. The, the average Canadian, they drive about 15,000 kilometers a year, which to me just blows my mind. Like, yep. that's a long way to go. But that's 15,000. And the number one selling vehicle in Canada is the Ford F-150 truck. Really? Which, yeah, which is uh, it's a big actually, truck. It's a big it's truck. It's a big truck. It's a lot for what the average person uh, needs, definitely. So it, it consumes about 12 liters for 100 kilometers. Uh, average car gets about 10 liters for 100 kilometers. So if you're uh, driving like 15,000 kilometers a year uh, and at that rate, you're creating about almost four tons of carbon dioxide uh, per year. And that's per driver, too. So if you've got like two cars in the family or more, both people are driving, you're looking at like almost eight tons. That's 3,780 kilos specifically of carbon dioxide per year. Wow. Uh, but it's not, just, it's not just the carbon dioxide that's going up. If you look at a typical urban environment, almost half of the space is devoted to cars. Like urban sprawl, like uh, cities like Dallas, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Miami, You've got your roads, you've got parking lots. It's absolute car culture and all the development is is promoting it. And I, I want to weigh in here because in my city of Belleville, I see the very same thing and it's it's getting worse, not better. So all yep. of the new developments that are going in because we have a almost like a housing crisis here, like so many people are coming here. It's a beautiful city mm-hmm. and we need to build, build, build. Sometimes there's waiting lists to get a home and these developments are coming in and just in the middle of nowhere. So not only do you need one car, but you actually need two cars because somebody's got to work. And right. you know, if, if you're a family and then the other person, then they probably need a car, right? Because everything right. is so far away. So I really get annoyed that uh, mixed building isn't more of a requirement and you should build up, not out. And then also yep. with what's happening in Toronto, and I was out in BC when Vancouver, when the prices went from like 300000 for a three-bedroom home up to like $1.5 million. I watched that whole thing happen and it pushes people out. And in Toronto, it's pushing people out of the core to the surrounding areas like Oshawa and stuff. And then you've got people doing, honestly, people do, I've heard, two-hour commutes to get to work. And that's crazy. Like if you've ever driven on the 401 into Toronto during rush hour, it's nuts. Like not a place you want to be and that's not healthy and uh, it's very polluting, right? So yeah, these developments are are making it tough to cycle or walk. that's, yeah, that's the thing. Is it's it's kind of a, it's a, it's more than like a car is. It's a lifestyle. It's more than just a thing, right? Like it's a. You know, once you build a city to handle cars, then everything gets spread out farther. 
then you kind of need a car to get around. If you're going to build a grocery store that's 10 kilometers away and then have a massive amount of housing surrounding it, you've got these basic uh, just massive distances, which then makes it expensive for everything else. You've got your sewage, right? Like running lines out that distance costs way more money. All the uh, electricity, the infrastructure, uh, policing, fire, everything just costs more. And, and actually, like when you look at uh, the cost that society puts in to support all these uh, these different ways of transportation, like for biking, every basically every dollar you put into biking for out of your costs, society only has to pay about eight cents. That's to maintain like the bike paths or the roads for the amount of roads that you do. The driving for every dollar that it costs a person that they're paying for in gas and licensing and all the rest, society's paying another nine dollars. And that's for like clearing the roads, for paving the roads, for all the extra costs that sprawl causes. So it's the sprawl is massively expensive and massively wasteful in a way that people often don't realize. Like what you were saying about the commuting time too, like there's been a lot of studies done on the impacts of commuting time. And because uh, there's a saying like, you're not stuck in traffic, you're stuck being traffic. And just like while you're sitting there in your car, you can't blame everyone else if you're doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're, but, you're part of the problem, right? <laughs> right. But for every 20 minutes, basically, of commuting time you spend, it, it creates as much unhappiness as a 19% pay cut. So like a lot of Oh, I believe that for sure. It is I don't know how people do it. It is right. it is very miserable. I wonder if people are miserable but don't know that they're miserable because of traffic. Cuz people don't seem to mind it if they're sitting in it and being traffic, but like it has right. to have an effect. I don't know. It really bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's just like when you're throwing out garbage, right? You're just so used to doing it a certain way yeah. that I think you don't see the alternatives and yeah. when people are stuck in traffic or stuck being traffic, they blame like, oh, these roads aren't wide enough. We need wider roads or uh, like the potholes are too bad. We need to fix the potholes, uh, which is another big cost of, of uh, like car maintenance is the ongoing repairs that you need to do to the roads. Well, in but Canada, that, the roads are bad because of the thawing and freezing, right? Because we have a range right. of minus 30 to plus 30, basically. And so that's hard on uh, on the roads and, and causes a lot of like damage, right? Exactly. I think people, they, they try and cope with other ways. They try and get up earlier in order to beat the traffic or they like eat breakfast in the car or yeah. they try and make their car as nice as possible. They spend more money on a nicer car. Uh, Listen to podcasts, have... hopefully. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. But they, 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 or they deal with their, they, sometimes they just deal with it by spending more money on other things. So they're, they're spending more they need to earn more, so they need to work more, maybe get a job that's farther away or spend more time out of the house. And uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize ultimately how it all adds up. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about Ottawa. So are there a lot of bike lanes? I know there's one that goes all along the river that's beautiful. So I could ride all the way from Gatineau across the Champlain Bridge and then you can go all the way to like, is it the Richmond Center, that big giant mall? Uh, the Rideau Center. Rideau Center, yeah, because that's kind of near the river. Yeah, so I did that yeah. ride one time, and it was it was beautiful. Yeah, Ottawa does a pretty good job uh, with uh, bike lanes, and they're getting better. They they've got the paths that are along the rivers. They're more like parkland, so they're not cleared in winter. They're only open in summer, but 
the great thing about those is that they're really far away from cars. And no, they're actually way over capacity. They're designed for a certain number of people. I don't know exactly how much it is, but they're getting multiple thousands of people every day now. Uh, on, on their bikes? Between cyclists and uh, pedestrians. Yeah, I think there's thousands of people per day wow. on by bike for sure. Laurier bike lane, which is a road that goes through Laurier Avenue here in town, which is uh, kind of through the downtown. It gets over 4,000 cyclists every single day. There's a path that follows the O-Train route here, which is like our LRT line that we have. And uh, it gets over 3,000 cyclists every single day. A lot of uh, new road builds and, and redoing existing roads, they're adding bike lanes as well. So like the Laurier bike lane where I talked about, because it's it's separated from cars, it's a lot safer than just riding on the road would be. So that separation is important. And it's actually, since they've added that bike lane, there's been five times as many cyclists that go down the road now, but yet the collisions have gone down. So like, oh, good. the number of collisions involving cars went down from an average of about five per year to three. And uh, we're seeing like 30% less uh, collisions for cyclists and uh, 50% less for pedestrians. So having this like bike lane there creates a calming and, and safety effect for everyone involved. Good. So if someone's interested in getting out and trying to bike through a city, it could be intimidating you know, sometimes I see those bike rentals in like New York City or they had some in Mexico City, you know, and I kind of want to hop on one, but I'm like, mm, I don't know the traffic here. So do you have any tips for getting over that hump of fear for people who are kind of interested but not sure? It's very safe. It's far safer than driving. Driving is actually one of the most dangerous activities that people do on a regular basis. Uh, well, I would, I would say, though, that if, if you get hit by a car in a car, you're probably not going to die as much as if you got hit by a car on a bike, though, right? I feel like that would maybe maybe like the chance of mortality is worse on a bike. That's kind of the unarguable fact. <laughs> if you get hit by a car on a bike, you're very likely to suffer a lot more than uh, if you were in a car. But there's several nuances to that. So first of all, cars are the number one cause of accidental deaths. For people under 44, kids, uh, adults, like as a teenager, your most likely risk of dying is by being in a car collision. Yeah, we all know someone in high school, right? It's really sad that happens. Right. Yeah. And if you look at the long-term effects of what driving does, so people that are biking, they're healthier, right? They're engaging in activity, exercise. And there's studies have shown for every hour you spend doing exercise, you're getting more than an hour back of extra lifespan on average. So right there and then, biking is a healthy activity and it's safe because, I mean, it's preventing you from dying in the long term. Uh, but also, like, it, it's fighting obesity or fighting diabetes, heart disease. Biking and exercise in general, getting out, is a great way to fight depression. And uh, anyone who's been feeling down, if you hop on your bike and go for a ride, uh, it helps. And if you think of all the health problems caused by pollution and what it's doing to our air in, in city centers as well, that cars cause, biking is good for that too. So, yeah, there's the there's the imminent risk of getting hit by a car, and you can't really argue with that, but it's actually very rare that it happens. 
Mm-hmm. So cycling is a, an excellent way to reduce your your carbon emissions, which is waste, and uh, to get into some really good shape. And I love eating food. Food is like one of my favorite things. So uh-huh. I always felt like I could eat poutine or like whatever I wanted because I was biking so much. It was like I couldn't possibly eat enough food because I was just expelling so many, so many calories. So that's like another good thing if you like to eat food like me. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it saves a lot of money too. Like that's so I was talking mm-hmm. about being frugal. Like, I, it's a lot of people don't realize how expensive uh, driving everywhere is. Like, you think about the gas, and and sure, that's that's I mean already super expensive, right? But if you look at the actual car itself, like uh, if you take the F one fifty, what most people drive, other more than any other vehicle, you're looking at like eighteen cents a kilometer just to pay for that truck. That's uh, and that's the base model. So. That adds up. Your insurance, it's another $0.13 cents a kilometer. Repairs are $0.10 cents or so. So you're looking like, in total, it's about $0.55 cents per kilometer that it costs to drive a car. So if you're taking like a 10-kilometer round trip to the grocery store, that's 5 bucks right there, easy. Which, if you did roll your bike, like you pay for your bike and that's basically it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you add it all up, it works out to over $8,000 a year just to pay for the car and, and all the additional expenses. So whereas the bikes are like, they're cheap, you save money on the transportation, you save money on your health costs, you save money on like infrastructure because you don't have to pave the roads as much. Did you know parking lots and paving cost about like 3 to $5 per square foot? No. So it's like, it's like we had fancy marble tiles. Everywhere we had roads in terms of uh, the cost, so like that really adds up. Like a kilometer of road costs between three and five million dollars. So yeah, I didn't anyways, know that. And that's why another big reason why I got into cycling in the first place was uh, I just wanted to save the money. Awesome. Well, JP, thank you so much for speaking with us today. And this has been a little eye-opening about you have some really good statistics on cycling. So that's great. And I'm happy to hear that you are down to uh, two bins of of trash. So you're zero waste and you're a cycler, which is uh, super awesome. So definitely doing your part. So thank you so much. Hey, Laura, it's been nice to talk to you. Thanks. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean, you can find me on Patreon, or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. 